Revelation chapter 19. We looked at part of this chapter last week in a hurry. I'm not going to take the time to deliberate over it this afternoon, but I did include that in the notes. Points number one and point number two. In this 19th chapter, it begins a turning point in the events of eschatology in that now we see King Jesus take visible charge and destroy his enemies and exalt his followers. With the chapter, those who follow Christ can have great hope for the future because the King is definitely coming. We sang about that even this afternoon. What a wonderful thought that our Lord is coming. But I want to start reading at verse number one. And so let's begin. We'll go through the chapter. And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory, honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, for he hath judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his saints at her hand. And again they said, Alleluia, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thunder, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he said unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said to me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in, his, and in his righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knoweth but he himself. And he was clothed with, in, with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all of the fowls of the air that's in the midst of heaven, Come! And gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men 
and the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had been had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of the fire burning with brimstone, and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. We saw last week the outline of the hallelujahs, verses 1 to 10. Verses 11 to 13, we saw the presentation of the king of kings as he is described here being presented. The purpose of his presentation is to bring divine judgment and to establish his righteous rule. When this happens, Satan is done for. Now God is going to be in charge. Satan will no longer have his way. Oh, he'll rise up in a small way to try to overthrow God in one last time, and God will just ultimately defeat him quickly. So when we come to this chapter, we have a sigh of relief because now we can rejoice that good things are happening and reassuring us that even though we see the world continually going downhill and becoming more vile and more wicked, we know it's going to come to an end and God's going to say enough is enough and Jesus is going to rule and reign forever. And that's a marvelous hope we have. So this 19th chapter begins a wonderful turning point in seeing these events take place because Jesus comes to bring divine judgment and to establish his righteous rule. We have several scriptures that I gave you last week and also point C, the king of kings is described. And here's much figurative language used in describing the king of kings. But I want to pick up with verse number 14 where we'll start this afternoon. Verse 14, we'll see point three, the coming of the king of kings. And the armies which were in heaven followed him. With verse 13, we find that he makes his presence known and he is described clothed with a vesture dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. And we know that that is the Lord Jesus himself. There's references in other places. We shared that last week. John chapter 1, he's called the Word of God. And so he comes and he's accompanied by this great army not because he needs them. Please understand that. He doesn't come with an army because he needs them to help him fight his warfare. As a matter of fact, as we read these passages, the army doesn't do any fighting. They're just there, making their presence known. But he's accompanied with these armies which are in heaven. Uh, they are, first of all, the holy angels. Turn with me to Second Thessalonians. Back up a few pages in your Bible, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. Breaking into the passage, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God 
that ye may be accounted, may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. So these are holy angels that come with the Lord. But there is, I said, no mentioning of the angels doing any fighting. The leader has power to speak the defeat of the enemies without ever using a weapon. He uses the sword of his mouth, his words. In the latter part of verse 14, we see the armies are clothed with fine linen and white. These armies of Christ are in great contrast to the forces of evil on the earth. The armies of Christ are dressed in white while their leader's robes is dipped in blood. Some commentators think the blood-dipped garment indicates Christ is the only one who has experienced mortal conflict. And there are other commentators that make this a reference to Calvary and the cross. So just generally speaking, you can't say, okay, that's exactly what that means. But there are commentators that lean in that way. In verse 15, first part of the verse, Christ shall eliminate wickedness and evil with divine judgment. And he uses, out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he shall smite the nations. The sharp sword coming out of the Lord's mouth is none other than the word of God. Isaiah eleven four says, But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. Go back to Second Thessalonians again. Well, yes, chapter 2, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, in other words, I'm beseeching you based on this truth. What am I beseeching you to do? That you be not soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worship, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember you not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? Now you know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who letteth, and the word letteth, is the idea of he who prevents it will prevent it until he is taken out of the way. The preventer 
will be removed, and then this will happen. And as we look at the scripture, the preventer here is the Holy Spirit. And when he is removed, these things will take place. And then, once he's removed, then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceitfulness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Time after time, they are given opportunity to be saved, but they have been deceived by Satan and now they've refused the hope of the gospel and they reach the place where, verse 11, for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they all might be damned who believe not the truth but have pleasure in unrighteousness. And that's where this crowd is going to be when this takes place. These people will have reached the max of unbelief and ungodliness and blasphemy and proud that they are like that. And they will have been so deluded by the devil that God will just turn them over. Okay, I have given you ample opportunity. I have tried my best to keep you from going that way, but you have absolutely turned down every offer I've given to you. Therefore, I'm going to let you go that way. And when that happens, there is no return. It's called apostasy. There is no hope of those people ever being saved. Now that's happening here in this time frame, but it's also happening in our day. There are those in religious circles today who have heard the truth and have turned away from it and embraced the lie of world religion. I'm just using that term loosely. And all that comes with it. They change with the times. They change with the beliefs. They change their patterns. They change their practices. They change their churches. All for the sake of appeasing the world. And the one behind all that is none other than Satan himself. This woke society that we're seeing happening in our day. The LGBTQ community that we're seeing in our day. And churches are embracing it is happening because Satan has deceived them. And they have chosen to go that route because they have rejected the truth of the gospel. Let me stop there just for a moment and give a positive note. If you come down Mountain View Road to church, have you noticed the change in the name of the Methodist church down here? They have left the United Methodist denomination. They are now part of the Global Methodist, which is a conservative Bible-believing group. That's fantastic. If you know anybody from that church, you need to let them know that you're happy they made that move. I've been tempted to stop by there and just knock on the door and say, hey, I wanted to let you know I'm so happy for your decision. That's what's great, to see where a church, a body of believers says, wait a minute, this is wrong. This cannot be. This is not what the Bible teaches. And choose to leap out of it. Buncombe Street Methodist Church, downtown Greenville, a huge Methodist church. 
right across the street from First Presbyterian Church, who left the Presbyterian Church several years ago and joined the conservative Presbyterians for the same reasons. The Buncombe Street Methodist Church has left the United Methodist Church. This is huge. Praise God that there are churches, even in these apostate denominations, that says, we're not going to go down that path. But all the thousands upon thousands that stay there and follow the pattern of what their leadership says. And that's what these people have done. They have chosen to go down the path that's contrary to the scripture, to the place where they've hardened their hearts so much that there's no turning back. So when God brings wrath and judgment on these people, it's not because he's just picking on them. They have had ample opportunity to be saved and have rejected it. So we find here that our Lord is going to come and he's going to eliminate the wicked and evil with his divine judgment using the sword of his mouth. Revelation 1.16 describes him again in the very beginning of the book. And he had in his right hand seven stars and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Then we see in verse 15, it says, Out of his mouth goes the sword that he might smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. A rod of iron. He will have a rod of iron rule. Now that means that Christ will rule with absolute authority. It was a symbolism. When one ruled and they used that rod of iron, it was, I am the supreme ruler and everyone will submit to me. It is speaking of sovereign rule in which all are required to conform to the righteous standards of God. You see, in this time frame, when our Lord's ruling on the earth, there'll be unsafe people there. But they'll be required to conform to Christ's standard and rules of government. The one who produced evil will not be there. We'll find that in chapter 20, verse 1 and 2. Thus, Christ's government will be one of pleasantness and happiness for all the earth. Then this next phrase. He treadeth the winepress at fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Now here's a word picture for you. In Bible times, they would gather the grapes and throw them in this huge vat, usually a wooden vat with drainage holes in the bottom or on the sides. Somebody got in there with their feet and would trample the grapes and stomp the grapes and crush the grapes so that the juice would come out so they could create the wine that they drank. And that's the word picture. This is the kind of judgment that the Lord Jesus is going to bring. That these people will be like grapes and God, the Son, will bring His wrath upon them and His judgment upon them and He will tread the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. This is going to be a horrendous time. This is going to be a time when the world has never, ever seen the wrath of God like it's going to fall. It's going to be a terrible time for the unsaved. But for those of us who know Jesus as Savior, it'll be a wonderful time for those of us that are saved. Number one, because we won't be a victim. Our Savior was our victim. 
Number two, we'll be on the winning side. And we'll see evil finally destroyed. Folks, there's a great day coming. And you and I need to be rejoicing in the fact that there is a great day coming. And our God will hurl out this wrath that he has been withholding through his long suffering on the wicked. And then we see in verse 16, and he hath a name on his vesture and on his thigh, the name written is kind of like a banner going across his chest, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Why? Because as he has pronounced and carried out this judgment, especially trampling the winepress of the fierceness of the anger of God. We see that as a display of sovereignty over his enemies. There's no hope for them. And we see this as a display of the unleashing of the wrath of an angry God. I'm so glad that he loves me and I don't have to experience that wrath. Verse 17 to 21 we see the battle. I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying to all the fowl that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together under the supper of the great God. Now we're getting, we're changing seasons here, South Carolina, in case you didn't know we're in autumn now. I know it doesn't feel like, but we are in autumn or fall, whatever you want to call it. And with the changing of the season, we see birds that move in that aren't here. We see them move in by the hundreds. It's nothing unusual to see hundreds of blackbirds, the smaller blackbirds flying around in groups. Can you imagine all of the birds that are flying in the air are summoned by God's messenger to come to a feast of flesh? And all these birds that have been vegetarians up to this point are now going to become carnivorous. And they're going to consume the human flesh of those that are destroyed. That has to be a lot of people. That has to be a vast number. And so the angel summons the birds and tells them why they're coming, who they're going to be eating, the flesh of kings, of captains, of mighty men, of horses, of them that sit on them, the flesh of men, both bond and free, small and great. And then verse 19, I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. They gathered together for war and instantly the beast is taken. No fight. He is just snatched up with a false prophet and they too have deceived the people into taking the mark of the beast and worshiping his image and those two instantly are cast into the lake of fire of brimstone and burning. The final abode of all unsaved people. Hell is a holdover. It's a place where the unsaved go till they come to the judgment, which we're yet to look at in Revelation. Hell is a horrible place. It is a place of fire. 
It is a place of judgment. But when these people are finally destroyed, they're taken out of hell and cast into the lake of fire. I don't know what the difference is in punishment stages other than the fact that the lake of fire is eternal. There will be, I believe, stages of judgment in the lake of fire for people. But I would not want to be the person there with the least amount of judgment. And so we find that this battle is described, first of all, it's a battle between the king of kings and his enemies. The evil spiritual influences of this world led by Satan and the unbelieving who refuse to accept God's forgiveness. So you have this spiritual army led by these spiritual leaders, those who have been under the direct control of Satan and all those that have been deceived by him and by those leaders. We already know the outcome of this warfare. So God calls the birds to prepare for a great human feast and an animal feast. With all the strength he can muster, the beast or the antichrist will try to defeat the king of kings and his armies. But his doom and the doom of the false prophet are the lake of fire. And then verse 21, we find the defeat and destruction of the beast's army. And the remnant were slain. Those remaining after the beast and the false prophet are removed. All those left to fight that warfare are slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse with his mouth, the sword coming from his mouth. And which sword proceeded from his mouth and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. This is a horrible, horrible event. And, it, and I don't take delight in saying this is going to happen. But the Bible tells us that it's going to happen. And so we know it's going to happen. But I take delight in knowing that I will not be a part of this group. That my sin is under the blood. I hope you take comfort in that. I hope you are excited about the fact that as you read these passages, we can get excited that righteousness is going to rule forever. And the devil and his cohorts, cohorts are going to be destroyed forever. And that we are heaven bound and devil and his armies and his people are hell bound. And we can rejoice in the hope that we have because of Jesus. We're a blessed people. And we can read about it. So when we get done with the book, you'll be able to say, I've read the last chapter and I know how it's going to end. And you can rejoice in that because we have that hope in Christ.